This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast, Season 15, Episode 21. Jeff Lemon with you and Barrett Sundaresen with me because Adam is away. He's being fancy. He's in Paris. It's Rachel's birthday. Had to do something nice in order to keep everything on an even keel. And I think if you're in London, then going to Paris is a pretty simple thing to do. Whereas if you're you or me, Barrett, then going to Paris is a slightly larger undertaking. That is very correct. And uh, just to... Put that further into context. Uh, me going to Paris is very different to you going to Paris, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, I still have visa issues mm-hmm. wherever I go. So, but it does feel weird sitting here talking to you when you're in another city, considering you were like next to me till a few hours ago. <laughs> yes. Well, we we were going to record were in this very room. <laughs> this we we were going to record this on what was day five of the test match, but it didn't quite work out with timing and by timing I mean I fell asleep on the couch in the afternoon which is a, a really nice thing to do and I recommend it to to anybody who's figuring out how to spend a nice sunny afternoon but we had a, a pleasant couple of days in the hills um, with you and me and Isha we were still working most of the time but at least we were working at home during, during a nice summer weekend after that test match wrapped up early and um, we, we will, you and I will start off the Brisbane test together and then we'll figure out what's happening yeah. from there with the daily shows for that. Adam will be doing daily shows on the India-England test series at the same time. So Ooh. this is a new final word challenge. We did some double up, split off dailies during the World Cup when there were two matches in one day, but we'll now be doing it for an entire test match with me and you doing Brisbane and Adam with Cameron Ponsonby doing India because Cam will be in India at the test matches and and linking up with Adam back in London. So it's going to be a complicated week or so and, and a complicated test series because that India series also overlaps the time when we go to New Zealand with you and me and Adam doing test matches in New Zealand at the end of February and March. So it's going to be a, a pretty wild few weeks from here. Let's just face it, every good relationship reaches a point where it becomes an open relationship. Yep. That's what's happening with the final word. Uh, <laughs> Even though I don't consider myself to be uh, on the other side of this open relationship, I'm, I'm the I'm the cousin, right? I'm mm-hmm. everybody's favorite cousin on uh, the Final Word podcast. But I can see it happen, like all these new guys, new new faces coming in and out. Like, yeah, we, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a swinger's favorite podcast now. There we go. Well, it, it's always been, it's always had a bit of that flavor. Um, I think uh, one yeah. of one of the earliest episodes was called Keys in the Bowl. And, and we go from there, I suppose. A couple of little things to look at, at off the top. You were telling me there have been some suggestions for the improvement of which formats of cricket? Uh, you were pretty vague about this, so fill me in now. I, I was, I was. No, I just <laughs> woke up to this on social media. I think it's gone pretty viral. It started with Kevin Peterson talking about how uh, I think he was watching a game in the SAT20, which mm-hmm. from all reports seems to be a fabulous tournament. Everybody's really happy with it. Uh, so he spoke about, or he mentioned on social media, on, on X or Twitter, that two years ago he'd mentioned that you need uh, a rule where if you hit the ball f- further or like you know far enough, you should be given 12 runs, not just six runs. I think that's only for T20 cricket from mm-hmm. what I gather. And to which A.B. de Villiers, from his official handle, replied to him saying, uh, oh, that's a good idea, but maybe 12, going from four to six to 12 could be a bit of a stretch, so maybe we should keep it to seven or eight or uh, some, something along those lines. And then A.B. de Villiers said, well, I have another suggestion. 
uh, which I think kind of trumps the 12-run suggestion, which he says they should have a system where the three commentators, the three commentators calling the action, mm. should be given the power to kind of decide a DRS call. So a captain signals uh, 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 or goes for the review. It's the three commentators on air at that point who discuss amongst themselves and vote whether to go give it out or not out. Oh. So that suggestion has really taken over social media overnight Christ. while you and I slept, Jeff Lemon. Oh, man. I mean, come on. You're like, if if that was the World Cup final, Travis Head would have been given out on 14 for hitting the ball too <laughs> sweetly. You know, you, that's, that is that is fucking nonsense. And and as for extra runs for hitting it further, so what does that mean if you bowl a, if you bowl a rip and leg break that pitches outside leg and, and and bowls them behind their their legs and hits the top of off stump that you get two wickets. I mean, come on. Like, that is that that was one of the replies I saw <laughs> to right. that tweet. Like, yeah, so shouldn't shouldn't someone like knocking the stump out give them two wickets? Yeah. yeah so well. So if if you, I mean, it's God, it's already such a batting heavy game. And any, I mean, I know it's probably just tongue in cheek, but it is nonsense because anybody yeah, hitting yeah. a six is trying to hit it as far as they can, right? Like that's how you hit a six. Yeah. And you, I don't think you can deliberately kind of go, I'm going to try to hit a hundred meter six versus an 80 meter six. You just try to hit a six. Like you just try to nail that shot. So it's not like it's a deliberate thing to aim for, but I've, I suppose if it's if it's Mickey Mouse cricket, like the most of the T Twenty League stuff, then fine. But yeah, I, 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 my instinct is to be annoyed at that, and now I'm realizing I shouldn't be annoyed at that because it was probably just some some <laughs> waffle. But there is a danger, you know, when prominent people make these kind of suggestions. Oh, yes, there's a danger exactly, that they get yeah. take, taken up. And I mean, yes, they had it in what the Hong Kong Sixes all those years ago. Shahid Afridi hitting eights, and like you'd get eight runs for hitting the yeah. roof and whatever it was. But I think that's fairly roundly acknowledged as nonsense cricket. But my concern is more the other suggestion, even though that's come for more ridicule, the three commentators having a say. I mean, let's not forget that most times the three commentators they talk about are former cricketers. Mm-hmm. Right? It's very rarely that these days you see a non-cricketer, a proper uh, full-time broadcaster or a specialist broadcaster, if you want to call them, mm-hmm. uh, in the box. So. I'm not ruling that out, really. <laughs> Maybe not in international cricket. But I can see a situation where there are three prominent commentators in a local league yeah. uh, where, you know, they, they have a say or they're voting for, uh, you know, because of, you know, they have, uh, they're paid to have opinions because uh, the umpire does get, or the umpiring calls do get discussed so often by these mm. commentators. Like, you know, maybe they do a trial where they're like, okay, fine, he, you have the power, but that would make for some interesting television anyway. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, there are, umpires are paid to be impartial and there are, Already, like there are, there are always accusations of bias against standing umpires whose job it is and whose whose reputation rests on being impartial. So imagine how quickly it's going to go feral when um, it involves commentators and all of the perceived and real biases that they may or may not have towards certain teams, certain players, certain countries. You know, and that's let's not even get into the the sort of situation where, say. You know, Wasim Akram's doing co- uh, commentary and giving an Indian player out on the field, and like, what's going to happen oh. after that? So, well, not not that there'd be any Indian players playing outside the IPL, of course, but uh, you know, there 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 might be inverse 
scenarios of that. That would be that would be a bad time for everybody. Speaking of Pakistan, Zaka Ashraf has resigned as the PCB president. This is interesting. We were talking with Daniel Rasool on the show uh, only a couple of weeks ago about how essentially this PCB president is is a caretaker president because we've got a caretaker prime minister because we're coming up to yeah. general elections in Pakistan. But Zaka Ashraf has pulled the pin early, um, which is interesting. And they're also, there there have been reports suggesting that any appointments that he made while chair will be voided and people will be sacked from jobs that they've been hired for. Um, I mean, it's just, just another day at the shit show that is the politics of Pakistan cricket. Yeah, I mean, you always worried, right? Even when we were talking about the support staff here, Mohammad Hafiz as interim director, uh, Omar Gul and Saeed Ajmal, who were all brought on board by uh, the Zaka Ashraf uh, committee or group when they came into power. Uh, you knew when, when in Pakistan they say interim, it is interim, <laughs> or like even, mm. even everything's I, I interim. Mean, Everything's interim, like yeah. But even interim, it sounds uh, at times sounds like an overstatement, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. So, well, it looks like they've finally at least won a T Twenty I. So that's good on that tour of uh, mm-hmm. New Zealand. They were four zero down and they won a game. So maybe that group of uh, coaches or the support staff uh, go out on a high. Maybe that's one way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's bizarre. I'm sure Daniel spoke about it more eloquently than I ever will. But Zaka Ashraf and Najam Sethi, right? Those are the two names that just keep. Uh, it's like hearing about like a country far, far away, which you know very little about. And you'll just see seven years, once every six or seven years. Oh, that guy's in power. Oh, wait, they've gone back to the other guy. Yeah. Oh, wait, this guy. So, Which is why I think when Ramiz Raja was in power, I mean, it was very contentious. Uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, I mean, that was debated widely, not in Pakistan, not just in mm. Pakistan, but everywhere. But at least it felt fresh because you had someone who was not called Najam Sethi or Zaka Ashraf running the show. Yeah, exactly. And think some things did get done during that period of time. You know, they they were set up for what might have been quite a big success with the the women's league, mm. that then got scuttled as soon as Ramiz got removed. So, yeah, um, well, I don't know if 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 that means that Najam Sethi's coming back because Zagashraf is out. Um, but I guess we'll find that out in due course. Usman Kawaja apparently fine after getting smashed in the face by Shamar Joseph. We talked about that on the the Daily Show, but encouraging that the reports are that his jaw isn't broken, which, you know, that that looked like a real concern and that so far he's passed all of the concussion tests. Yep, the official update uh, last evening was that uh, Usman Kawaja continues to progress through protocols following a head impact, which I think we discussed briefly in the last uh, final word daily we did, where uh, he has to pass every test Mm. to be available for for the next game. And it says that he will be monitored for delayed symptoms. And I think they're going to review his situation later today because Australia have their first training session uh, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I think they're just uh, giving it some time. So at the moment, it looks like uh, it will be Usman Khawaja. And uh, yeah, and I don't know when this quote came out. Again, another thing I saw on social media, Marcus Harris apparently expressing his disappointment, saying, I don't know whether they'll ever pick me or a specialist opener again for Test Cricket. So obviously, you know, we've heard a lot from the camp, Bancroft camp. Mm. Marcus Harris now uh, seems to have uh, come out and spoken about it because, yeah, I mean, it, was, it can't be easy being him. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that, you know, and Adam and I spoke about this, it was interesting that Harris got so little airtime. You know, everything was about Bancroft given that yeah. he, he made 900 runs in the Shield last season. But Harris was the the most recent other occupier of yeah. that spot. You know, he was the incumbent opener. He's the one who got squeezed out 
by Kawaja during the the last well the last Australian Ashes with the Travis head Travis head out with COVID. Kawaja comes in at five, makes two hundreds. Head comes back. They can't drop Kawaja because he's just made twin tons. So they push him up to open, um, and he proceeds to make every post a winner from then on. Harris is the one who's unlucky there. So you know he he has has a case to feel pretty hard done by. Uh, Matthew Renshaw would probably be the one coming into mm. the position if Kawaja were concussed because he's the spare bat in the squad and, and, you know, he is a specialist opener as well as then becoming a specialist middle order player. So yeah. he's a double specialist, I guess. But he was off playing for the Brisbane Heat by the point that Kawaja got hit. Um, so, you know, that would have been interesting if they if they were chasing 300 and I, I, I don't know what they would have been doing at that point, casting around for a concussion substitute out of um, Adelaide club cricket or something like that. And that weird thing, that it's, it's weird that we saw it duplicated that Shamar Joseph didn't get to bowl defending a, a nominal target, a very small target, but didn't get the new ball the same way that Amar Jamal didn't get the new ball defending yeah. a small target for Pakistan in Sydney. It was weird that the two the two players who were the, the kind of the emotional centre point, I suppose, for yeah. for people watching in this country, because most you know, most cricket people here, yeah, they want to see Australia win, but they also want to see the opposition fight. And Jamal and, and Joseph were the two players who, who've got people excited over the last few weeks. And I was, I was sort of gratified to see the, the, the breadth of the frustration that those bowlers didn't get the first crack at Australia in those fourth innings small chases. Especially Amir Jamal, considering he was the only one taking wickets yeah. and he'd done it across three test matches. He'd taken six wickets in the first innings. He's, he was single-handedly responsible for keeping them alive in that last test when he made the 80 and the big last wicket partnership as well. And then, unlike here, I mean, okay, fine, you can argue it was just 25 runs, but Pakistan had, what, uh, 80 or 90 or whatever it was, I don't yeah. know. Oh, that's correct, 120. So it's a pretty, it, I mean, Australia have fallen chasing down those kind of yeah. totals in the past. I mean, different Australian teams, but you would have thought that's the best chance for Amir Jamal to be given the ball. Yeah. So, yeah, but you're right. I, I guess we talk about all these things from the outside. Maybe seniority does have a, have uh, a, a bigger role to play with, uh, in, especially when it comes to these kind of things like mm. taking the new ball or, uh, yeah, because both Amir Jamal was, I mean, Amir Jamal was asked about it. He said, well, you know, uh, it's not it's not up to me. I'm happy you're doing what I'm doing. I'm sure Shamar Joseph would have said the same thing if you asked him that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you've you've got to you don't want to create an incident um, by expressing displeasure. But I think good captaincy is about responding to things as they happen and situations change. You know, planning is great, but. Like, it's like you have to know the rules in order to know when to break the rules. Similar things yeah. apply for captaincy. Um, but speaking of Big Bash cricket and Adelaide, uh, we're well into that at the moment. Brisbane got beaten by the Sydney Sixers the other night. Um, so there'll be what we'll, we'll have. We're recording this on. Well, this will hopefully go out the day that we're, we've recorded it, which is yeah. Monday, which means we'll have the second last final tonight and then we'll have the the other final coming up on the Wednesday right which yep. which is a bit weird having the two big finals on a, a Monday and a Wednesday I suppose the previous two were on a Friday and the Saturday and they need to get it done by Wednesday so they can start the day night test on the Thursday but anyway, that's pretty much it it's um it's it's slightly yep. odd I suppose it doesn't really matter what night of the week given we're I assume still in school holidays I don't know I don't have 
children and I don't know <laughs> Well, I, I do have a teacher at home, so okay, I can yeah, tell you true. the kids are still at home this week, so okay. it's a student-free week. Yep. So Aisha starts going to school tomorrow, but yeah, the kids are still at, uh, at least in South Australia, I know it doesn't, mm. it's different everywhere else, sure. but at least in South Australia, I know. Uh, the game, yeah, I mean, Adelaide Strikers will play the Heat in Brisbane. Yep. And the winner takes on Sydney Sixers in the grand final on on Wednesday, the night before the day night test. Seems seems weird that they were playing. Um, so Brisbane Heat, when they got beaten by the Sixers, they get the double chance because they finished higher up the ladder. Uh, they don't know why they were playing it at, at Carrara on the Gold Coast, but they did That's for correct. whatever reason. And and it's been interesting, Barrett. These previous couple of finals. So the Sixers who get kept to 152, sort of mid-range yeah. score, Moses makes 59, Hughes 42. Michael Nisa, three for 27. He was bowling behind us on the big screen as we were doing our, yeah, doing our show at the Ark Hotel on Friday night and you, you kept being distracted, turning around to watch Nisa bowl. <laughs> um, Spencer Johnson, by the way, two for 14 off four overs, incredible. But yeah. they won it easily defending 152. Oh, yeah. Um, they Bowled out Brisbane. Ben Torsh is five for 21. Jack Edwards, that freakish return catch off Spencer Johnson. If you haven't seen it, it's just one of the, the most... Like, it'd have to be one of the lowest amounts of time to respond just to, to yeah. sticking a hand out. And then this very similar game for Adelaide Strikers where Jake Weatherald, who, mm. who likes um, Big Bash finals, makes 53. No one else makes any runs until... Ben Menenti and, and Henry Thornton make 20s down the order to get them to 155. And then again, they win it easily. They defend it comfortably. And it's Lloyd Pope and it's Cameron Boyce, seven wickets between them, the two leg spinners. This is fascinating. So Boyce, with the background that he played seven T20s for Australia, I mean, years ago now, we, we used to make that joke that he, he bowled the most expensive over in T20 international cricket, not in terms of runs, although his one over in Cardiff did go for 19 when Moen Ali got hold of him in, in 2015. But because they flew him from Australia to England, to play yeah. in this one T20 where he bowled one over, got tonked and got taken off. So it was a full round-the-world trip to bowl an over. Count the carbon credits on that. And then he got two more T20s against India in 2016 and then Zampa took over and that was it for Boyce. He's 34 now. Um, he came into the striker squad for, for Rashid Khan. And then you've got, you've got Lloyd Pope. And this, is, oh, this will make no sense to you, but Lloyd, Lloyd Pope bowling now, now that he's got the shaved head and the red beard... One of our listeners, Nick Ibis, pointed this out. He's got an uncanny resemblance now with the shaved head and the red beard to, to Broden Kelly from Auntie Donna. Now, the the most famous Auntie Donna bit, or my favourite bit, is the bit off their podcast where they're doing the Ben Mendelsohn impersonations of him, of his character from Animal Kingdom. His character in Animal Kingdom is named Pope. So we've got this this incredible link. So now every time I see Ollie Pope bowl, all I can hear in my head is like, is like, oh, g'day, mate. You haven't been talking to the Perth Scorchers, have you, mate? I'm trying to win a big bash, mate. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a particularly niche loop that probably like five people are going to understand and you're definitely not, but I, I have to throw it out there for the no. people who will. But you, you do understand uh, Lloyd Pope and you, you understand that, that he's been a South Australian phenomenon, you know, burst onto the scene in the yep. under-19s World Cup, had his years of struggles, um, but here he is dominating in a final and getting all of his four wickets with wrongins, by the way, <laughs> which was an interesting yeah. touch. No, it was. And uh, just speaking of Cameron Boyce and uh, Lloyd Pope, you have someone that Australian cricket seemingly had moved on from forever and someone 
who Australian cricket seemed to have forgotten forever. And, you know, Cameron Boyce, like you said, that name kind of, he's in that mix of, uh, even though he wasn't from that era, he's the Bo Casson and Dan Cullen of this era, mm. isn't he? Uh, and uh, James Muirhead, who yep. I mentioned to you uh, recently during a test, and you said, I don't remember James Muirhead, but I just remember him from that one T20 World Cup. Yep. Uh, but it, it, it's one of the many white ball spinners they tried before. Uh, it, it's like a lot of spinners they tried in the 2000s for test cricket before landing up with a world-class spinner like Nathan Lyon. Similarly, they, they went through that uh, circuit uh, during uh, the white ball stuff mm. and they were looking for someone. And Adam Zampa came about and you know they haven't uh, looked back ever since. So uh, that's Cameron Boyce. And Lloyd Pope, you're right. It's funny, right? Some websites who have carried news from the Adelaide Strikers win are still using the, the flame head under 19 picture of Lloyd Pope. He's still just 24, uh, which kind of tells you, and 24, and he is 24. Like he's not uh, Rashid Khan 24, for no, example. He does so, look about 44 uh, uh, with, the, with the shaved head and the beard. He, I've, I've, yeah, exactly. And I've seen him wheel away, struggle in shield cricket. I've seen him do well in second eleven cricket at times and also kind of get lost to second eleven cricket because in the last few years, South Australia, the Redbacks have brought in so many spinners and mm. other options from uh, from interstate. Ben Menenti, who came interstate, has now become a, a regular for them in Shield cricket. And they've just moved on from Lloyd Pope completely. Uh, and you'd feel bad for him. And, you know, he seems like such a... I don't know him too well, but it seems like an affable character. He was always used to be on the boundary, chatting away with kids and whoever else. Uh, loves a game of chess and all of that. He's he's a good story. And I think, unfortunately for him, that under-19 performance happened when it happened. So suddenly he was just like thrown on to the, uh, or into the spotlight and people were like, okay, that's it. We have a new flame head spinner. He's going to take over the world. And it, it just didn't happen. Uh, I think he struggled on some of those Karen Dalton oval pitches where it was so flat and he would end up bowling 50 overs, going for a lot of runs. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a great story. I'm so happy to see him uh, come back. And he was playing what he was with the Renegades for a few years, and then he was not even playing full time for the Renegades. For him to come back home, if, if that makes sense, and to do what he's done, uh, I'm super happy for Lloyd Pope uh, and Cameron Boyce, who was bowling in the nets the other day to the Australian Test players and bowling really well alongside uh, Brendan Doggett. So uh, you know, at a time when the strikers were like, "Oh, we've lost lost all our international players. What do we do?" It's good to see two guys like that put their yeah. hand up. And it's interesting that it's been like the, the the change from across the Big Bash season where it's basically been all runs, right? Like teams have been making a lot of 170s, 180s, 200s. Most of the lower scores have been chased and then they reach finals and suddenly the squeeze starts to work and chasing lower scores yeah. becomes difficult. So, um, so, yeah, it'll be Brisbane playing Adelaide tonight in terms of the day of release and then by Wednesday it'll be the Sixers mm. playing whoever wins out of that but yeah it's interesting how pressure works once you you know you, you start getting into the knockout matches it does and we've seen it in T20 tournaments and leagues all around the world so I don't know whether it's the pitches getting tired but or just the pressure of the run chase getting to them alright before we hit the break let's do a little bit of Nerd Pledge! Nerd Pledge, the game that we play with the nice people on the internet who fund this program and they do it by sending in contributions and those contributions are in amounts of currency that relate to cricket in some way and we have to figure out what the relationship is. Indy is our Nerd Pledger, a return pledger who's sent through in Canadian dollars 
for some reason. $3.10, that means the number is 310. It could be interpreted in a range of ways. Some numbers come with a clue, some don't. This one does. What's my clue, Bharat? Well, the clue is, it's abstract. Uh, it's, I'll read it out to you. It's apt given where the next men's T20 World Cup will be held. You know where that is. It relates reportedly to a player's top score. And the clues, and I'm glad you did that uh, musical note there at the start to announce Nerd Pledge, is I've realized that sometimes Jeff hits this musical note in his more rousing introductions to Nerd Pledge, meaning the low start note to high end note is the same, but an octave in between. Most are C or A, some are C-sharp, at least one was D, a few were G. Our note is between G and A. The note's name is similar to a first initial and surname, but add the letter E, or, or but add the letter E, letter E. I wouldn't have found this player browsing regular cricket records just through the wonder of binding two abstract ideas. Wow. Oh, wow. Well done. Thank you so much. I'm just glad that I knew how to read C sharp, yeah. which tells you about my musical background. Totally. <laughs> I was very proud of that. Yeah, you were telling me stories the other day about being heckled while trying to play the drums during Megadeth <laughs> covers in, in, in gigs in Mumbai. Um, so you do know what a sharp is, and importantly, so did I, because... The number between G and A, that was the clue. And, and if, you, if you know your, you know, if you know the song from The Sound of Music, you know that you reach G and then you go back to the start again. Um, that's the octave, that's the eight note sequence, but you have your sharps and your flats that sit in between the other notes and those are also notes. So what sits between a G and an A? It has to be a G sharp. And I thought, well, that makes sense. And if I add the letter E, the surname Sharp is often spelt S-H-A-R-P-E. So I thought, is there a cricketer whose first initial is G and whose last name is Sharp, like the spelling of Duncan Sharp, one of the, the few Anglo-Pakistanis to play for Pakistan in test cricket, for instance. And would you know it, there is indeed a player named George Sharp, spelt with an E at the end of George and at the end of Sharp, who played for a club in Toronto in the 1840s. And I don't know if he was part of... So there's a match in, in 1840 where, where a bunch of Americans from a club in New York show up in Toronto saying they've been invited to play a game, but it was a hoax invitation. Somebody had sent them a letter um, inviting them who wasn't actually from the cricket club, and so they rocked up, and then the Toronto club, being hospitable people, just decided to play them anyway. So they played a match, and they organised a return fixture... I think the following season. So I don't know if it was, or I don't know if it took until 1843, but George Sharp in 1843 mm. does go to New York to play this St. George's Club for the Toronto Club. And then, Barrett, in 1844, a year that, that cricket history heads know well, that's when they go full international. They say, we're not going to play as wow. Toronto and St. George, we're going to play as Canada and the USA. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors because the Canadian team is mostly the Toronto team. The US team, they do scout a little more widely. They bring in some out-of-towners from Philadelphia and so on to play in this US side, which is still heavily based on the St. George Cricket Club side. And they play in Kipps Bay, which is at 31st Street and 1st Avenue. So these days, it's, it's right. Manhattan. It's like the thick of Manhattan. It's, it's six blocks along from the Empire State Building on 5th Avenue. It's, it's right next to Barrock College. Um, shout out to our colleague, John O'Barrock, 
who has his own college there, presumably. <laughs> uh, it's a few blocks from the Chrysler Building, the UN Plaza. It's right next to the ingress point to the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. But in 1844, none of that exists because Manhattan is rural, at least at that point, not so much right down at the mm. south where the, where the ports are. But by the time you get up to 31st Street, it's, it's the country, it's fields. And so they're playing on an, an absolute shit tip pitch, um, one of those sort of 1800s mud pitches that is really hard to score on. But they're playing a USA versus Canada match notionally, and this is what later goes down to be recognised as the first international cricket match. So there's a lot of betting, Barrett, on this. The the reporting is that there's $100,000 in contemporary money. I sort of tried to figure out through some online calculators what that might mean today. The estimates were north of $4 million. Even that seems under-clubbed, I think. I don't really trust these inflation calculators in terms of the actual buying value of money then versus money now being a completely different thing. But there's a lot of gambling on it. And and given the state of the pitch, if I say that George Sharp made 12 in the first innings, that doesn't sound like much of a score, but that's the equal top score. Out of 82 Mm -hmm. that Canada make, he doesn't bowl as they dismiss USA for 64. And then in the third innings, he goes from number five in the batting order down to number nine. Um, I don't know why, and presumably in protest, he makes five as a statement of where he should be batting. They're all out for 63. The USA gets set 82 to win, and uh, who should take the wickets but George Sharp, who snares six wickets in the innings to bowl them out. They don't count the runs on these scorecards, so I don't know for how many. Um, And there's also, they they often didn't record LBW as belonging to the bowler. So there's an unknown LBW on the scorecard, which might also have been George Sharp. So he either takes four of the top five, but it might be seven of the top eight. It's it's a game played with 11 versus 11, but the USA lose at nine wickets down. Why is this? Because it rains on day two. They extend the game to day three, which I like the flexibility of. This is good, you know, This modern cricket could learn a bit from this. They decide to play an extra day, but there's a fella in the US 11 called Wheatcroft who doesn't show up on day three. So he was their first drop. He, he made nine runs batting at first drop in the first innings, but he doesn't show up on the final day. So they're, they're allowed to have a sub field of the US team while they're bowling, but they can't get a sub batter. So he's marked as absent on the scorecard at number 11. I don't know if he just had a huge night and didn't rock up or if, because it was 1844, (laughs) he he was dying of dropsy or something, but he doesn't show up. They lose nine down and uh, and Canada go on to win the first international match, one which I'm I'm sure you've spent a lot of time thinking about as well. I have. uh, I remember going for my journalism college, uh, the one that I did my course in, they had this pre- course interview they had to pass the interview to go there and someone asked me uh, I mean it was a big group everyone all the head honchos at the Hindu newspaper and Ram and everyone else and they asked me about oh talk tell us about the birth of the ashes I said no I'll tell you about the birth of international cricket that's the cocky guy I was back then and I told him about this US Canada game I think I got through because of that uh-huh. also maybe they just wanted me to stop talking so <laughs> but no it, <laughs> just a couple of things uh, I mean uh, growing up George Sharp was one of my favorite umpires. You remember the English umpire because he always had the most lovely smile when he gave someone out. And he also was one of the few back then who used to give signal batters out with with the left arm. So left 
hand. So while I was, you, you were talking about George Sharp with an E, I was just looking him up. I think he was George Sharp without the E. So it yep. was just S-H-A-R-P. And US-Canada playing the opening game of the, the uh, T20 World Cup as well. Very disappointed that it's in Dallas and not near Manhattan. That, mm. you know, any history buff, if they were in charge of making the schedule, they would have made sure that's happening. But uh, yeah, what, what a game, what a game. And uh, yeah, who knows, might have, might accidentally have led to me becoming a journalist. Yeah, I didn't know that detail of the uh, of your story, but I, I love that it's it's matched into this. And, and George Sharp, I should say, plays a few more internationals. He he goes on to play another one in Montreal the following year in 1845. Again, he takes six for, plus a two for, plus a couple of catches, and he makes 31, which is his highest score in these international engagements and reflects the $3.10 that Indy sent through. That's the 31, the link to the number. He goes back to New York City that summer and takes another six and another twofer as Canada chase a score and win by two wickets, just get over the line in a thriller. And then in 1846, a year later, he's back to New York. This time they play in Harlem in 1846 at the Red House ground, which is close to where the initial um, stadium, proposed stadium, was going to be for the T20 World Cup. So it's a shame that they didn't get that up and running. Um, It's now out on Long Island. We'll talk about that in the second half, actually, about that ground. Anyway, in the Harlem match, he takes seven for in the innings with another anonymous LBW, so he might have taken eight, I'm not sure. The Canadians only made 28 in the first innings. The USA made 57 despite the seven wickets for George Sharp. So Canada's trailing in the third innings. And the scorecard says at, um, at 13 for three, the third innings ends, it's called off and it's a draw. So I was like, hang on, I, I guess it just must have rained. And then that's not the case. You dig around... And there is this note on the scorecard. With the score at 13 for three in the Canada second innings, reads the note, Halliwell, who's batting, hit the ball in the air and thinking he could charge the bowler to prevent him from catching the ball, knocked the bowler Dudson to the ground. Oh, wow. The the latter, on recovering, ran and threw the ball at Halliwell. He was subdued by his teammates and later apologised to the batsman. But the Canadians refused to continue the game. Bell's Life, which is a magazine, stated that Canada had forfeited the match. It was seven years before the fixture was resumed. So it wasn't forfeited. The match is recorded as having been drawn, but it was another walk-off. So 25 years before Dave Gregory leads the walk-off in 1879 at the ground in Sydney, the Canadians, and this is after the Canadian batter has run down and smashed the bowler to the ground to stop him (laughs) taking the catch. The Canadians are then the ones who crack the shits and say, oh, your deportment is deplorable and we're not going to continue the game. Come off it. (laughs) That's an amazing story, yeah. Is that how uh, obstructing the field came into being? Maybe it was. Might have been. I mean, uh, you, you might have been. Like, could well have been. You would have thought. No, I, that. I do believe that that could well be the one. We maybe we should. I'll bring it up in the next umpires meeting and see. The uh, look at the birth of obstructing the field. Extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. So that's the the extra bit of the story that I didn't expect to find. Um, but I'm <laughs> confident lovely. that's the right answer for Indy of three dollars ten. If you want to play Nerd Pledge, go to patron.com slash the final word it's spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n but i think the americans were in the right this time with the the match that was abandoned in 1846 in harlem uh before we get to the break a quick reminder about the nord vpn uh, offer you can get 
a massive discount and you can also get four months free if you sign up to the the two-year deal for the NordVPN. If you don't know what a VPN is, it's a virtual private network. It's the thing that makes it a lot easier to use the internet in, particularly if you're moving between countries or particularly if you Mm. need to seem to be in another country um, for legitimate and reasonable purposes because sometimes the internet's very unreasonable. Easy to use. One click, you can connect to over 6,000 servers in 61 countries. This is actually the VPN that I was using even before they started advertising on the show, so I have used it a lot, and I can tell you that it's very quick and simple, and it's one that, that works in in situations where a lot of the others don't. So you can change your virtual location with one click. It's the fastest VPN going around, um, and you can use one NordVPN account across six devices using every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac, whatever, Linux, even Linux, even if you're on Linux, God even knows Linux. there might be still oh. a few of you out there running Ubuntu or whatever it was called, Android TV, whatever, the whole lot works. NordVPN.com slash TFW if you want to get the discount. Let's take a break and then uh, we'll be back with the second part of the show. Hi, I'm Dave Warner and you're listening to The Final Word. It's The Final Word. Jeff Lemon and Bharat Sundaresan, uh, the show also presented to you by CBUS Superannuation. Bharat, you have your citizenship looming and so hopefully superannuation is another great Australian uh, innovation that you'll be getting involved with because CBUS helps people uh, look after themselves in their retirement. There's over 900,000 Australians who have their superannuation with CBUS and we're very glad to be associated with what we think is a very good thing super is very important is what i've been told by my ca so uh you're right see super is your friend my friend everybody's friend and you can add me to that nine hundred thousand number no maybe i am nine hundred thousand and one uh as we head towards that one million figure very good. Past performance, not a reliable indicator of future performance. Uh, cbus.com.au, you can find them there. You know how to use the internet. You don't need me to tell you that. So this was it was entirely coincidental that that nerd pledge number was about playing cricket yeah, in, <laughs> in New York at the same time as... So yeah. this week we got sent out the visualisation of what the venue in New York is going to look like. I think this was a bit of damage control from the um, from the ICC because uh, because of the photo. Was it was it Peter Della Pena who took the photo out there, or one of the correspondents in the US took a photo of one the, of the current yeah, site yeah. as it was, which was is literally just a, an empty green field. It's like the Manhattan one would have been in eighteen forty. Four. Yes. And they were like, there's supposed to be an India-Pakistan World Cup game played here in five months' time. Is that going to happen? So so they've sent out some, some mock-ups and it's basically going to be a big temporary, those those permanent temporary stands that they have in a bunch of the grounds in England, yep. you know, like the, uh, I think the Basil Dolivera stand used to be like that at Worcester before they sort of finally built the, the permanent one. There was, there was like an interim one in its place or the one up at Manchester that they built, that huge scaffolding stand. So there'll be a lot of those sort of stands, but it's still supposed to be able to take 30,000 people um, when we get going in June. Yes, that's correct. Uh, the grandstands you spoke about are from the 
uh, are the ones that were used for the Formula One, the Las Vegas uh, Grand Prix. Right. So they're just bringing those ones uh, over from uh, uh, from 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 the West, is it? Uh, yeah, from the West. And yeah, the ICC have said you're right. Uh, it'll be completed in three months. Which we are in, it was the end of January, so well before that India-Pakistan game. Thirty-four thousand fans will be there. There'll be the VIP hospitality suites and a party deck and cabanas. You know, for the biggest <laughs> party carnival. <laughs> <laughs> as you as you would. What does uh, that even mean? What is that? Also, uh, as in as in they're going to build cabanas like the like the little huts. Is that or is yes? I think so. Okay. Yeah, just on the side, like you know, uh, yeah. maybe they're just borrowing everything from every other sport that's been played in New York over the years. And and, and uh, the stadium is being designed by a company called Populous, who. Also designed the Narendra Modi Stadium. Don't forget. So that's one of their big, you know, highlights. Okay. Uh, the Yankee Stadium and also the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Right. So this stadium's going to take two hundred thousand people. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll be thirty-four thousand, but it could take two hundred thousand. That's it. it. It could. Uh, remarkable. Okay. So this is. It, it's out on. It's in Nassau County. So it's on Long Island. If, right. if you know that part of the US, you'll know what I'm talking about. As in across the water, you've got you've got Manhattan, and then you go across the water to Brooklyn and Queens. I, I got on a little rabbit hole of reading up about the history of this part of New York the other day, um, because so you know it's it's a city I'm interested in. Me and Steve Smith, when our yes. interests include New York City, that's um, correct. So yeah. Queens County became one of the the five boroughs, which you'll know about the five boroughs if you know the um, the Beastie Boys back catalogue. Well, Queens County becomes one of the boroughs of New York City, even though it's part of Long Island, and it splits off from the rest of... So the eastern part of Queens County splits off, and then the rest of Queens County has to become its own thing. You need your own identity. You've got to go out uh, go out there in the world and become yourself. So it becomes Nassau County, which is a, a Dutch royal family name. And that's where Nassau Coliseum is, which, um, which is this big Sporting arena. It's, it used to be where the Islanders, the hockey, the ice hockey team played, and I think the the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, used to play there as well. At times, we, it's just one of those cultural references. It's a Lauren in the middle of a Lauren Hill bit from uh, what is it? Everything is everything. The the El Boogie Spars with stars and constellations. Then came down for a little conversation adjacent to the King. Fear no human being. Roll with cherubim to Nassau Coliseum. So it was always one of those. I was like, I always wondered what Nassau Coliseum was, um, but. It's it was a big venue for for musical shows, so that's her reference is is going there to play because that's where all of the huge acts used to get. You know, Springsteen played there a lot, the Rolling Stones, the Jacksons, Elvis, Beach Boys, Led Zeppelin, Madonna all played big shows there. Frank Zappa's last ever performance was at Nassau Coliseum. Frank um, Zappa, the uh, the Highwaymen played there. Johnny Cash's country supergroup and Billy Joel played a lot there before he became a Madison Square Garden fixture. I think Billy Joel's playing right. his last Madison Square Garden show this year. I think he's finishing up finally his monthly residency, but he used to play a lot at Nassau Coliseum and you I'm surprised you haven't brought this up yet. WrestleMania 2 was shot at Nassau Coliseum. I was just waiting for you to yeah, waiting for you to finish. The Nassau Coliseum has played such a big role in uh, in, in pro wrestling history, especially uh, the the Vince McMahon senior and mm-hmm. Vince McMahon uh, era because uh, think about it they were in the north I mean they were a New York based uh, territory and they used the NASA Nassau Cal Coliseum a lot some historic moments in wrestling have taken place and I have to apologize for the lot of barking at the back 
ironically the uh, our dog's behavior therapist just arrived so not a very good start for them is all i'll say <laughs> Uh, 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 I mean, they don't they don't spend a lot of time barking, but um, that was definitely like having been at your house for the last week. That's the most sustained, prolonged period of barking that I, that I have heard in the entire time. That's be- that's irony. Yeah, they pick their moments. Somebody that is irony. Somebody send a note to Alanis Morissette. That is a correct uh, example of irony. All right, what do we got? Um, Zimbabwe knocking over Sri Lanka. I mean, uh, admittedly only in one game, but it was a pretty great mm. T20 series as far as T20 series go. It was. Zimbabwe lost two of the three ODIs. One of them was a washout. I think we talked about those last week. And then the T20s, I mean, they had two belters back-to-back. They they lost the first one somehow, Zimbabwe, despite mm. poor old Sikanda Raza. God, we t- talk about him as this tragic figure on this show. He makes 62 or 42 <laughs> balls. He bowls four overs and takes three for 13. He turns the screws through the middle and then Sri Lanka get away late. Um, Angelo Matthews is there. Dustin Sharnikam bashes a few. Blessing was Rabani is bowling the last over with 14 to defend. Matthews gets him out for 46 with two balls to go. They need six to win. And then Chimera walks in, hits a four and a two and wins the game off the yeah. last ball for Sri Lanka. You're like that. That must hurt. And then in the second match, Zimbabwe finally get them. And it's chasing a big score too. Sri Lanka makes 173. Asalanka 69. Matthews 66 not out. He's playing well. Angelo still mad about being timed out and he's just taking it out on the, the <laughs> ball. And they make they chase 173 with almost nothing from Sikanda Raza, who gets out for eight, and they chase it anyway. I liked the contrast of Craig Irvin making 70. Brian Bennett at first drop makes 25. Craig Irvin's 38 years old. Brian Bennett is 20. Um, so the, you know, the, the timelessness and the future. And then there's a middle-order slide. And then Luke Jongwei, who's already got out Kusal Mendes and Asalanka with the ball, comes out at number seven. Wax a couple of sixes early in the over from Matthews. Needs needs 20 off the last over. Uh, takes 20 off, off the five balls. One of them's a no ball as well. Angelo Matthews probably, you know, shouldn't be bowling the last over, but they didn't quite get their, their rotations right, Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And Luke Jongwei finishes off the game and, and there was that beautiful detail that someone dug up of his, his Facebook profile picture from 10 years ago used to be Angelo Matthews, who was his favourite player. Um, <laughs> That's lovely. And Jongwei belted him around to, to win the game and couldn't believe it. They went on to lose the third T20 Zimbabwe, but it was nice to, to see them get an upbeat moment. Yeah, I don't know. Something about Sri Lanka-Zimbabwe cricket makes me very nostalgic, right? If you go back to the, the 90s, there'd, all, there'd be this cricket everywhere. And then even after Sri Lanka won the World Cup, uh, that was a big rivalry, right? Every time Sri Lanka went to Zimbabwe or Zimbabwe, before Bangladesh became a test nation and all mm. that, some wonderful cricket used to be played by those two teams. Then obviously Sri Lanka just like broke free and became a world power uh, across pretty much all conditions and started beating Zimbabwe up. But yeah, every time Zimbabwe runs Sri Lanka close these days in a series, and, and look, I mean, they went and did really well in a test match in Sri Lanka as well a couple of years ago, was it? Mm. Did they win a test or they came very close to winning a test? Almost feel like they won a test or uh, ran them close. So it, I don't know, it makes me nostalgic, but you're, you're right. I mean, even some of these names, Luke Jongwei has been around for a while. Craig uh, Irvin, like, you know, some. I'm sure Adam Collins has jumped on the board and made some connection joining Craig into the first ever one-day international played. Uh, that's something Kolo loves to do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
I still can't believe Zimbabwe blew that chance of qualifying for the 50 over World Cup. I mean, mm. as fun as the Netherlands were, Zimbabwe I think would have added a, a bit more flavor than even the Netherlands did. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's I mean there's there is something special about some of the players they've been able to produce and and I mean and I know we talk about Sekandaraza a lot but the you know yeah. missing opportunities to see him play on the big stage is is so disappointing yeah. when we've seen the way that he's been able to elevate his game yeah. when he's playing against really good opposition the Zimbabwe women are playing at the moment as well against Ireland women which is been quite an interesting series. Um, Ireland smashed them in the first game, one by ten wickets. Both the games so far have been rain affected, and then the second match was was a tie, an ODI tie oh. with a Duckworth Lewis intervention. So Zimbabwe made two hundred and twenty six in 50 overs and then there was a rain reduced target of 203 to win in 43 overs and Ireland made 202 for nine um so yeah they ended up tying that game there was no super over played um so that'll be that's 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 a rarity with a rain reduced tie in Mm -hmm. 50 over cricket and another rarity with the double super over in the India Afghanistan (laughs) game can you can you yeah. t- try to catch people up with the madness that happened there? Yeah, we saw the highlights the other day, didn't we? After the Adelaide Oval Test, so yeah, I mean, well, India we, we were sitting here watching it, and so was it Andrew Ramsey? It was, it was like, what are you doing? And we're like, well, we're watching this game, and he's like, you know, that game's already happened. And we're like, yes, but the highlights are on now. Hi, <laughs> exactly. So India make two hundred and twelve for four, batting first. Rohit makes a big hundred, one twenty one not out, and uh, you know there was some talk before the series, right, when Rohit Sharma. And Virat Kohli were both picked in the squad saying, oh, like, you know, come on, India, when will you move on? And India lost quick wickets. Uh, they lost Virat Kohli first ball. Shivam Dube just made one. Sanju Samson first ball. Farid Ahmed was running through that middle order. Uh, in came Rinku Singh. And uh, I think they put on a record partnership uh, from four, 22 for four to 212 for four. Wow. Unbeaten. Uh, Rinku Singh makes 69 not out as he's... It's amazing. I mean, look, we've seen so many IPL stars not really make the make the step up. I mean, Sanju Samson. I mean, it's not just an IPL star, but he struggled over there. But Rinku mm. Singh's just taken his IPL form into international cricket. Hit six sixes. Uh, Rohit hits eight sixes. So. Um, India, who have already won the series, are sitting pretty, you would think. But it was a really good run chase, and we saw a lot of highlights of that. A good start from Gurbaz and Ibrahim Zadran, who made 100 at the 1K day in front of us mm. in that Glenn Maxwell innings. Um, and then they lose their way a little bit more with Nabi, hits a few sixes, but it's good old Gulbadin Naib with the, the big uh, biceps who keeps yep. them in the game. He was sensational. Um, and, and the way he was hitting the ball was, was, I mean, that that is Absolutely. by far the best I've ever seen him play. Oh, yeah, exactly. With the bat in particular. Yeah. Uh, he was smashing it. And, uh, yeah, it comes down to, I think, two of one ball. Uh, they managed to scramble across for a single after a few uh, a few wickets fall. Mukesh Kumar bowls their last over. And it's I think a they got two. They got two no, off ties. the last ball, didn't they? They needed three off the last ball. And so he, oh, they needed three off the last. He, they needed five off two and three off the last ball. They needed five off two. Yeah. Um, and and Gulbadin hits a two, and then he needs three off the last yep. ball so he needs four to win effectively because there are no threes in, in T20 cricket and they managed to get back for the yep. second and tie it and, and, and get to the first super over so uh, as it stands uh, they have to uh, they bat first uh, which is uh, Afghanistan bat first Mukesh Kumar bowls the over a couple of sixes and fours for them so they finish with a good super over score of 16 runs and you think oh, can Afghanistan pull off uh, uh, this big super over win against 
against India. Well, Rohit Sharma walks out with uh, Yashasvi Jaiswal. Everything uh, Rinku Singh as the uh, as the third batter. Mm. Uh, Rohit starts off well, uh, leg by six, six, and now you just need two runs of two balls so you think it's pretty straightforward but th- he only manages a single uh, tries to hit a, uh, hit someone over cover hits the toe end of the bat and then in what would become a controversial move he says okay, I'm retiring hurt because uh, you know I, we need a faster runner to to finish the finish the thing off and uh, I think in, in walks Rinku Singh and they need two of the last ball and what do you know it they only manage one so the super over gets tied mm-hmm. you can see Rahul Dravid and Vikram Rathor in the dugout they don't know what's happened Rahul's going Rahul's doing his own <laughs> I can't believe this yeah, I can't believe this uh, I can well, see they were just the, laughing at that point the, what, what, what else do you I do I know exactly so now the big not controversy now the big talking point was Rohit Sharma walks out to bat right. in the second super over mm-hmm. so the uh, contra, or at least the debate was the, hey but didn't you retire hurt in the first super over well it, he, it's, that, it's that he retired out right like he he retired yeah, he yeah, didn't say he out. was injured he he ret- and if you retired no, he retired out that's a dismissal uh, so, so I did see a lot it of is. people saying oh well he wasn't dismissed but if you retire like if you retire it counts as a dismissal against your average on your career record for instance correct, um, it's correct. A, it's, yeah. it is a dismissal it's just a self-administered dismissal you have been dismissed you can't return if you retired out you can't come back and bat later for instance Yep, that's correct. I think, but that's where the whole super over rules kind of, it's like a penalty shootout, right? right. Goals you score in a penalty shootout or runs and wickets you take in a super over don't count. So yep. that was the rule thing that was discussed by the umpires. And they said, well, but that super over is over. This is another super over. I think, again, I think it's one of those, right. maybe it's a, it's a gray area that, might get discussed in the future. Uh, but yeah, Rohit Sharma does walk out. And, and India don't get uh, as big a score as Afghanistan do in their Super Over. They just uh, make 10. Uh, but so Afghanistan need 11 to win. Uh, they lose two wickets in the first three balls and it's all over. Uh, Ravi Bishnoi uh, is given the Super he- Over here, not Mukesh Kumar. Mm, I love uh, that. I love that move. Of, uh, Give the leg spinner a, a, yep. um, the chance yeah. to, you know, the spinners never get used in these situations or rarely. Yeah, exactly. And it's a double super over finish, uh, you know, two better than one. Now everybody would want an India-Pakistan game to have five super overs. You mm-hmm. know how these things go. Mm-hmm. So maybe New York brace up for it. <laughs> yeah. 18 super overs. Courtney Vine to, to take the ball in the, the last super over, the longest super over finish <laughs> of all time. And, yeah, I mean, I feel for this Afghanistan team. They, they seem to have made an art of um, losing some really close games where they, they take it up to a, a much better resourced opposition. You know, Australia in the World Cup, there was that ODI against Pakistan that they somehow managed to, to lose um, right mm. at the very end when Nassim Shah edged a ball down through deep third yes. for four. I mean, they've, you know, they've got these games where they, they really, really more than compete. I mean, the fact that they even managed to tie after that, that massive first inning score was, was sensational in itself. So they, they make an art of getting so close and not quite getting there. And they do. I suppose that's the next step for them, given that... That is, yeah. I mentioned Sri Lanka earlier. Remember in the mid-90s, they went through that phase as well. I remember a game against Sharjah. Mm. They almost toppled the West Indies, but Hashan Tirakarathni just fell short. And then the 96 World Cup happened and everything changed. So I think with Afghanistan, every time you see whoever they're facing up against, across all conditions, they seem to find ways of getting into those winning mm. positions, which is actually at times more challenging than uh, becoming a team who wins a lot. So I think it'll, it'll just take uh, that one more step and I'm mm. sure they'll start doing it. 
And in this glut of T20 cricket that's going on in New Zealand and Pakistan that you mentioned earlier, Finn Allen, 137 from 62 balls in, I think it was the third game of that series. Uh, 16 sixes in that innings, extraordinary striking from him and he's he's been recognised as this upcoming talent for a long time but um, he's yep. he, he delivered on it there only five fours to go with the 16 sixes so extraordinary innings um, six other players made single figure scores in that innings, the, the, the next best score was 31, they still made 224 for seven, uh, Barbara Azam 58, Mohamed Nawaz made 28 in quick time but they lost by 45 runs there, mm. the fourth game they had Rizwan make 90 not out at the top of the order, but Pakistan only made 158. New Zealand chased that comfortably. Mitchell, 72. Phillips, 70, both not out. Did that only a couple of wickets down. And by the fifth game, so Sayam Ayub had this... He, the first game he made 27 off eight balls, but it didn't make many sense, so he, he got left out by the time they got to the fifth game, which is disappointing. You know, we, we enjoyed his work in the test match. We'd like to see him... Yeah, Get a go. Um, Azam Khan, the wicketkeeper, got a couple of games, got left out. Fakhar Zaman is back. He's 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 not really been a fixture in the T20 team. He's come and gone. He's in the middle order at the moment. I was just looking at his record earlier. His last nine T20 internationals have been against New Zealand. I wonder if that's a record to have a, a streak <laughs> that long against one team. Mohamed Dawaz came back partway through the series. I mean, God love him. Talk about tragic figures. We we I would love to see Mohamed Dawaz do something like succeed. He oh. made a, he made a few useful little Scorpion. scores, but he just you know bad luck seems to happen to him. But yeah, the fifth game they find. Finally got a win. Pakistan turned around after losing four in a row and bowled out New Zealand for 92. Ifti mania, Iftikhar Ahmed, three wickets, uh, runs for Rizwan and for Fakhar in the middle order. So they at least got a win. And more importantly for New Zealand, uh, Kane Williamson's done his hamstring. So he'll he'll miss out on beating up on the South Africa fifths team and will be trying to get back for the Australian tests by the end of Feb. Yeah, indeed. Uh, some. Very nice sounding names in that Pakistan team: Hasibullah Khan and uh, Sahib Zada Farhan. So uh, I don't know. I, I sound like Harshabogle here, mm. kind of getting excited about uh, nice sounding Urdu names, but uh, or uh, Muslim names. But they're they're very good to see some new names in that team. Again, some debate about Babar Azam Rizwan: should they be there? Should they not be there? Uh, it's good to see them get get a win out. Yeah, Fakhar, Fakhar Zaman uh, batted at uh, number four for a change, and so that's good. But you spoke about Ifti Mania. I think one of my favorite parts of the series was I don't know whether you saw that clip where some Pakistani fans are kind of calling him Chachu. Chachu means uh, your father's younger brother, basically your uncle. Mm. Uh, and that's names followed him throughout his career, unfortunately. And he gets very annoyed. He turns around and says, like, stop calling me Chachu. And you can hear the Pakistani fan go, but I love you. I'm your fan. And then he says, then don't call me Chachu. I don't know. It's, it's just Iftikhar Ahmed getting pissed off at people for calling them, calling him their uncle. It's just he, kind of really funny for me. But. He, does, he does look to have a vintage. He and Lloyd Pope, you know, could be could be sitting on the front porch together chewing tobacco or something like they they both look like they've been around the block a few times yes that's correct oh i think your description about him when we were doing commentary on the world cup game was the best he's come from the other side of the mountain to save the village or something that was one of the best lines i've heard about him <laughs> he, he just he has a weathered look he has an outdoor look he looks like he's, he he's been outside absolutely for, for a lot of his life, yeah. So all oh, all of that's going so. on. I, I had I had one question I should have asked you earlier in the show, but I, I I was just curious about your observations in the nets of of Steve the Steve Smith opener thing. Is that 
What, what have oh, yeah, you made yeah. of watching him prepare for it in that sessions? Because you're you're always there watching his back foot. Yeah, indeed, uh, and his front foot and his hands. No, he was very excited. I've never seen. Uh, he looked like a kid going to a new school. You know, like he's like, oh, I have a new school to go to. And uh, I saw the first uh, couple of balls he faced. First ball was just outside off some pushes it through the cover. He's like, oh, that's three runs. If I was batting number four, that would go straight to the field. Yay. Second ball is like a foolish ball on his pads. He on drives it for four. He's like, seven of two. I'm seven of two. I'm loving it. And then Usman Khawaja batting in the adjoining net goes, oh, it feels like the bull never left. What happened to you? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I can bat like him. Look at me. And then uh, he was, that, that was him. And right. uh, uh, he even uh, asked me to keep an eye on some of his things with his batting. Uh, and uh, there, were one, there was one period where he wanted to see where his back foot was going in uh, relation to his off stump. And eventually saw him the way he got out and almost got out in the second innings as well, where he went a bit too far across in trying to protect that off stump. So I think those were those are things that uh, Steve and I will work on. And, and <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he will work on and I'll watch him do that. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. But I think just overall excitement. You could see it in the brief uh, innings he did play mm. uh, in the two innings uh, or in the test match. So uh, uh, apart from that, he faced a brilliant spell from Pat Cummins in the net. And uh, I forgot to put, I'll tweet that out at some point. Just tells you how difficult Pat Cummins is to face. He gives Even in the net, he gives you nothing away. Just in hits that length, hits that Pat Cummins length over and over again. And uh, that was a good battle to see, two world-class performers at each other. So, yeah, I think he is going to come good. He's just, he's just loving this uh, new promotion. And, you know, like all kids, new school, it take take a week or so to get used to. And also, mm-hmm. I think he'll also realize getting out to that ball from Shamar Joseph is what happens to test openers all the time. So even that is a lesson for him. Mm-hmm. Something you just have to get used to. All right. I think that's it. I think that brings us to the end of our show for this week. Uh, the final word weekly program. No, just one thing. Can I just... This is some, 21, you can. Uh, some news... Just just some news coming in. It's embargoed for two more minutes, but by the time this goes out, it'll be fine. A couple of changes in the Australian ODI side and a couple exciting changes. So, Glenn okay. Maxwell's been managed, so he's fine. He's being replaced by Jake Fraser McGurk, or Rooster, as we know him. And he's had a sensational domestic season, that uh, world record score in... Uh, in mm-hmm. Listic Cricket in the Marsh Cup, a couple of good knocks in the sh- in Shield Cricket, and what a BBL he's had. So, uh, very, very excited to see him come in at 21. Very, very highly rated. Good things happen to people who move to South Australia, as we know. Uh, and the other bit is a little disappointing. Jai Richardson, we don't know what injury it is, but he's injured now. So, Xavier Bartlett, who's had a very good, uh, I think he's had three, four good seasons for Queensland, tall, fast bowler. Mm-hmm. So, he's replacing him. So, Bartlett and uh, Fraser McGurk have come in for for Maxwell and, or Jai Richardson and Maxwell so just some news out there before we leave Bartlett for Australia it's happening Momentum the campaign is on alright thank you Barrett for the breaking news uh, thanks to everybody for listening if you want to support the show patron.com slash the final word if you want to get your discount VPN or sort out your superannuation the links are in the show notes and uh, if you want to find out more about the Edinburgh marathons that we're running half marathons all the rest of it at the end of May um, you can find links there as well you can find us on the internet you can get involved with what we're doing in many ways there you know how to track down information on the world wide web that's it this has been the final word thanks Barrett for joining the show I'm Jeff Lemon we'll see you next time I had to go